Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. Well, today we're going to be talking about what might be the next biggest development in the American abortion wars since the Dobbs case last June that overturned Roe versus Wade. The Alliance Defending Freedom, which is one of the foremost religious liberty groups, not only in the United States, but around the world, they've had a significant role in many of the most major cases. And in fact, they were the key legal organization arguing for the state of Mississippi in the Dobbs case. They are pro-life, they are pro-religious liberty. They are now going to be representing another case, and that's the Mifepristone case that the Supreme Court agreed to hear uh, on December, <clears throat> excuse me, on December the 13th, uh, which is last week. And the Mifepristone case, of course, deals with the abortion pill. The abortion pill is, is seen by many abortion groups as the answer to the abortion access being cut off in states that are passing pro-life laws that protect pre-born children. And so the Biden administration has really been pushing for the wide availability of abortion pills. There are many um, abortion groups that now mail pills into states where people um, are unable to get a surgical abortion at a clinic. And so abortion pills are really transforming the landscape of the American abortion wars, which was very predictable. Pro-life groups knew that this was coming. And in fact, when I was uh, in Washington, D.C. with my wife the weekend that Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, we actually attended uh, the following Monday a pro-life rally in front of the um, Health and Human Services building in Washington, D.C. because with their massive campaign to push the abortion pill across the United States, uh, that building had become the epicenter, the hub of the largest abortion industry now uh, in the United States. And so it's really big news that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear uh, this case, ADF is representing four doctors and four medical organizations that are challenging uh, the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, uh, which is uh, responsible for regulating different substances. And so in order to kind of get a, a snapshot of this case, because these cases are often complicated and difficult to understand, uh, Kristen Wagoner of the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, was kind enough to take a 15-minute segment out of her incredibly busy schedule. It was very hard to nail her down, but she agreed to join us and, and lay out what this case means and what the ripple effects of this case could be in the future. And so without further introduction, uh, here is my discussion with Kristen Wagoner on the Mifepristone case agreed um, that the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear on December 13. Here's our conversation. So the first question is, there's been a lot of news about this uh, Mifepristone case, uh, the abortion pill case. And of course, there's been news um, breaking in almost every mainstream press outlet on the abortion pill uh, since the end of Roe and, and even before. And so maybe just give our listeners a sense of what this case is really about and what the significance of it is. This case is about whether the FDA should answer for the damage that they've done to the rule of law and the harm that is caused to women by putting politics above science. We know that when chemical abortion drugs are given that they induce labor and delivery and they do so in an unmanaged and an unsupervised process and that the FDA has actually removed common sense safeguards that exist to ensure that women are safe during this process. Now, why do you think the Supreme Court accepted this case, especially now? I would say that the 
it's always difficult to speculate why the Supreme Court accepted a case. I think that in terms of looking at the legal issues, the FDA's actions are unprecedented in how they came to uh, remove these safeguards, and they truly disregarded the, the safety of women in the process. And my hope is the reason that they accepted the decision is to affirm that every court that has reviewed this has said the FDA acted unlawfully in removing those safeguards. So I would expect that that's how the court will rule in this case. Now, obviously, for, for, for pro-life activists such as myself, um, anything to do with FDA and Mifepristone, one of the, the primary concerns we have um, is that it, A, deeply harms women, as you've just pointed out, and, and B, it kills a preborn child. But that won't be the focus of this case, right? That, that, that information, the, the intended effect of the abortion pill will not be um, at issue in this particular case. In terms of whether the legality of abortion will change in this case, um, I, I would agree with you that this isn't about whether abortion is legal or what the laws or restrictions are on abortion at a federal level. What this case is focused on is the Biden administration has created a mail order abortion scheme. And in doing so, in its zeal to promote abortion drugs, it has ignored the science and has created significant harms to women. In fact, we know from the studies that those women who have chemical abortions are 50% more likely than surgical abortions to result in an emergency room visit and in fact, five upwards of five percent of every of all women who take this drug, they do end up in the emergency room. So, regardless of what one's position is on abortion, women deserve better than having the zeal of the Biden administration promote drugs that truly harm women as well as their unborn children. Now, obviously, there's a, a many different aspects to this case, but when when you're you're making the case for why it's so important that that, that this pill actually be um, regulated and the harms it has on women, what kind of stories um, are going to be presented? I've seen uh, different pro-life groups talk about the submissions that they're planning to make, um, highlighting the harms that this has done to women. I've spoken to many of these women myself. I've heard a lot of the horror stories about the impact of the abortion pill. What sort of evidence do you plan to present to the court? The evidence we will present is, is similar to the evidence that was presented in the lower courts. And again, I think it's important for people to understand that every court that has looked at this issue has agreed with us that the FDA acted unlawfully in removing these safeguards and in authorizing these dangerous drugs uh, without those safeguards in place. I think you will hear of many stories um, of women who have suffered life-threatening infections and severe hemorrhaging as a result of taking these drugs. Among the uh, clients that we have in this case, these are frontline doctors who have seen the harm that the FDA has inflicted on women and girls. And in removing the safeguards, it's very clear that they've ignored the science and including the impact even on adolescent girls and giving these drugs. I don't think most Americans understand what this, this drug does to a woman in terms of creating significant bleeding, inducing labor and delivery. And having those kinds of consequences in an unsupervised, unmanaged, um, manner has created significant risks that are proven in terms of the number of visits to the emergency room, the number of surgical interventions as a result. 
So when you uh, refer to emergency room visits and surgical interventions, just so the listeners are clear as to what that terminology means, what sort of of side effects, uh, what sort of experiences are women having after taking the abortion pill? Well, I think the the physicians are best able to address that, but uh, I would say there are a number of instances of life-threatening infections that happen, severe hemorrhaging that can happen. Um, I mean, if you think about the fact that you're inducing abortion at home, again, without any supervision, infections result oftentimes. Um, a number of times, the, the chemical abortion drugs are unsuccessful, and so they require um, because of the infections and because of what occurs to go back in and actually have to have surgery as a result. Um, so the consequences are quite significant to many women. And so many times you'll hear the other side say things like, well, this is no different than taking Tylenol. But again, I think it's important for Americans to understand um, five, upwards of 5% of all women who take these drugs end up with serious complications and visits to the emergency room, um, and that's under the FDA's own admission. When you take Tylenol, 5% of all women don't end up in the emergency room for taking Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you think uh, 5% of women is incredibly significant with regards to side effects? Um, why, why do you think that, that numbers that significant are being ignored? Is it just the fact that anything to do with abortion in the lead up to Dobbs and post row period is just inherently politicized and seen through a framework, not of, well, this has serious side effects that should be considered, but rather it's all about abortion access and that's, that's all? The Biden administration has shown its commitment and its zeal to push abortion drugs in all 50 states. And I do think that's what we're seeing. In in removing the safeguards that have been put in place, they have ignored the clear science that's out there. They haven't engaged in any meaningful way to follow the science. Um, And the the statistics, the harm that's caused, it's really not disputed um, in any meaningful way that this is causing significant complications. In fact, we know that just between 2002 and 2015, the number of chemical abortion related emergency room visits increased by over 500% um, alone. Now, obviously, you can't speculate to motive, but what would be the public defense of the Biden administration, the FDA, and those who are really uh, pushing um, the availability of the abortion pill in all 50 states be? Because if this information is not disputed, what would their response to this be then? Well, it's always hard to make me recite my opponent's argument um, because I think it's inherent with all kinds of problems. I suspect that what they would say and what they have said is that they're wanting to ensure that women have access to abortion and that through chemical abortion drugs, they're able to provide them that access, including perhaps in states that um, don't have or have limitations on abortion, particularly in a a post-Roe world. And the response to that would be, again, The issue before this court is whether a government agency can ignore the law in the process of um, restricting, you know, essentially removing the restrictions on these drugs um, so that they can advance what clearly is more a political agenda than caring about women's health. And this really is about women deserving better. I mean, obviously, at Alliance Defending Freedom, we are are pro-life. We believe that life should be protected from conception. And we will continue to argue that. But I think where the Biden administration's argument also falls down is they should feel the same way because women deserve better. They deserve to have an FDA that doesn't get caught up in the politics 
or an abortion zeal and is looking out for them to follow the science and find measures that are protecting women in the process. So the calculation that's been made then essentially since they've politicized this process is that the abortion pill is worth the risk essentially since there are states where getting a surgical abortion is almost impossible. And like every every federal agency in making that conclusion, one, I don't think that's a legal conclusion that they can make. That's impermissible under the law because like every federal agency, the FDA has to rationally explain its decisions and support those decisions in science. And in many ways, that's what makes this case somewhat unprecedented. And it might also be one of the reasons the Supreme Court took the case is that there is such a lack of science supporting the removal of these critical safeguards. The fact that you can induce labor and delivery without even a doctor's visit to ensure that there are no life-threatening potential complications in that process is stunning. It is, um, it's horrific to think about in terms of putting women in jeopardy like this in such a, a volatile and sensitive situation and time in their lives. So let's give the listeners a sense of, of what this will look like going forward, because obviously uh, these legal proceedings, uh, they often take far longer than, than, than people realize. And so they've accepted this case. Sort of give us a timeline. What, what, what happens next? What's the process and as, as well as the, the rough timeline? Well, Alliance Defending Freedom had the wonderful privilege of serving on Mississippi's legal team in the Dobbs case. And we've, um, with God's help, we've had 15 Supreme Court victories in the last 12 years. And I say that because this is, of all of those cases, the fastest track case that we have ever been involved in. Um, and so we, the court will rule by the end of June in the case. Um, so it, it is a, an extremely fast track case. And so in terms of uh, in terms of steps, they're going to be ruling at the end of June, which, yeah, wow, that is that is a very tight timeline uh, for the Supreme Court. So what happens? What happens next? The parties are already beginning to prepare the record um, to look at what was said below, to decide what part of the record um, to highlight to the court. Then they we have a briefing schedule. So the briefing and outlines are already beginning. It's an extensive process of providing arguments to the court. Um, and then there will be amicus briefs, which are friend of the court briefs that will be filed on both sides. You reference, for example, what are the stories that may be out there um, that the court needs to hear about and how these drugs work. Those stories are often presented by other organizations, by doctors in friends of the court briefs. So you'll see a significant amount of those that will come in in the next couple of months. You'll then it will culminate in an oral argument that should take place in March of this year where the court will hear and have the opportunity to ask questions of the advocates. And uh, we're privileged to be able to stand on behalf of associations consisting of physicians as well as some individual physicians and to argue the case on their behalf. And then finally, after that March oral argument, we will wait. Um, and while we wait until June, you will see again the media create all kinds of narratives to um, try to influence the public in this process. And then in June, we will hear what the Supreme Court's decision is. That's one of the questions that I had for you, because I, I, I've always admired how effective the ADF is about streamlining their message uh, in, 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 in the mainstream media, which is very difficult to do. Um, but it, the ADF has always been very disciplined. Uh, it's always been... Uh, I, more effective than most groups 
at getting its message out there without being misrepresented. What is the strategy for ensuring that with this case, the main thing stays the main thing? Because, of course, the press is just going to basically attempt to portray the ADF's legal case here as another attempt to restrict abortion post-Dobbs, whereas the case, as you've just laid it out, is very much about the removal of safeguards that are essential to protect the health of women. So what's the what's the press strategy for ensuring that the main thing remains the main thing? At Alliance Defending Freedom, we not only are committed and our mission focuses on ensuring that all people have the right to speak and live the truth, we're committed to speaking that truth ourselves as an organization. And so in terms of that, we are committed to ensuring that as we talk about this case, we're going to shoot straight with our audiences and with the American public. And when you go through these media interviews, one of the things that's and critical to say is, is to not deviate in terms of um, sticking with what's the truth and what we know is the truth in this case and not getting distracted by different questions, but continuing to go back to the fact that this case is about pushing chemical abortion drugs and removing critical common sense safeguards that protect women. And while others may try to frame it up differently, um, we're going to continue to speak the truth. Chris, and that's all the time you had. We so much appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to explain this to all of us. It's a privilege. Uh, We're grateful for you covering it and um, also being committed to sharing that truth in terms of what the case is really about and what's at stake for women. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Kristen Wagoner of Alliance Defending Freedom to talk about the abortion pill case that will be uh, heard very soon and decided next June. Again, the abortion pill debate is probably one of the most central and fundamental debates now uh, that's taking place across the U.S. It's going to have enormous implications not only for preborn children, although for preborn children first and foremost, but also for the women who are taking these dangerous drugs and obviously uh, our prayers are with the Alliance Defending Freedom team and the phenomenal work that they are doing in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, If you'd like to keep track of this podcast to get news and interviews like this, please head over to lifesitenews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find the Van Maren Show there. You can subscribe to us there and you can follow us on any platform that you get your podcast content from. Once again, thank you so much for joining us this week and we do hope you'll join us again in the future.